This is Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole, and coming up, we've got a big update on the migrant story, the story of migrants and refugees overwhelming the capacity of New York City shelters and infrastructure and having an impact on statewide infrastructure. Tonight, we get a deep dive on the impact on upstate schools as some of these folks have been relocated out of New York City, our children, and the school year starting. So how are upstate schools dealing with that? We find out in the second half of the program. But first, we start off in a pretty good place to be on a Wednesday evening, and that's with Liam Mayo from the River Reporter on the phone line, ready to give us our weekly news roundup from the River Reporter. Liam Mayo, welcome back to the radio program here. Thanks for having me back, Jason. <laughs> so did you go out to this? Uh, there, there was a bit of a surprise. Aileen Gunther had a bit of a surprise for folks today. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so the surprise was uh, the Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hasty, has been sort of touring the state uh, the past couple of weeks, um, bringing announcements of funding to uh, different projects around the state. And today was Monticello's turn. And the big announcement from that is that uh, there will be $2 million in state funds for improvements to the Ted Strobel Recreation Center. It's kind of a community center in Monticello. Um, Histy met with uh, the mayor of the village of Monticello, as well as the town supervisor of the town of Thompson. And they told him uh, that the building was in poor shape. Uh, one of the things they said was uh, they um, had, if I'm remembering this correctly, they had acquired funding for a project to repair the bathrooms um, in the building. Um, but they sort of started that project and then realized that the roof was leaking and sort of infecting those bathrooms with black mold. And we got to see a nice uh, torn out bathroom where everything's been kind of removed to reveal just the walls and the black mold and that kind of thing. So what they told Hasty was, hey, we can't really complete these repairs until we get the roof fixed. And that's like approximately $800,000. So they were asking at least at that meeting, for that much. And then at the end of the meeting, he turns around and says, hey, uh, Assemblywoman Gunther twisted my arm before we got up here, and I'm already committing $2 million to this project. So it should cover the roof, as well as um, lighting on the basketball courts, uh, the bathroom projects, just like a bunch of things to make this a thriving community center. Wow. All right. Uh, was there any uh, reaction from the community? Day? Were members of the community there? Was it this really just for the press? Yeah, there were a lot of uh, different representatives from community groups there. Uh, there were people from SALT. There were people from uh, Sullivan 180. And they were just incredibly thankful um, for the, the use of this space. 
um, there was one gentleman whose name I am unfortunately forgetting, but uh, he was saying that uh, Sullivan County is doing a lot to kind of reduce, um, to, to improve things for the children of the county, and they have a lot of programming going, but without... I'm mixing a few people's quotes there, but the uh, gist of what a lot of people said there who work with youth in Sullivan County and who work with different people in Sullivan County is that there is a lot of energy toward helping the community. And there are a lot of programs in place that people really want to do to help the community. But you kind of need a space to house those programs and the building in its current state. You can't really do anything there. So with this $2 million, it's not just, $2 $2 million for a building that no one's going to use, the people who are going to use that building are already in the community doing their work. Now they have a place to do it. So that's kind of why the community, or at least the uh, community that was there, was so thrilled about this announcement. Yeah, and I, I was just going to add to that, like, not only is this something, not, not only is it anything that you might have a fear that people aren't going to use, I think even uh, the the listener listening now, if, if you're a regular listener, even if you don't live in Sullivan County and you've never been uh, to Monticello, you may have heard about the Ted Strobel Rec Center because so many things happen there. We're constantly talking about it on air. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the shelters in, in the wintertime or in times of other emergencies. It's where regular uh recurring community events happen at similar times each year like if there's something that's happening it's open to the public in monticello like there's a pretty good chance it's either at the ted strobel rec center or the eb crawford public library yeah and as much as libraries can be amazingly important community spaces having this dedicated rec center is that will now have just a major investment to get it back in full fine trim is important for keeping all of those things you're talking about going. All right. Well, thanks for giving us that, that update. And that's a surprise announcement that we got today uh, with, with some local impact. So uh, speaking of local impact and national stories, uh, COVID's been going up uh, across the country. People have been keeping an eye on it. People are keeping an eye on it in New York state. Um, what, what about us locally? What is there anything that we should keep in mind here? Um, locally, I mean, I I think the, we were looking into it in part because at least personally, I've known a couple of people who've gotten COVID over the past couple of weeks. And it's just a reminder that, oh, this thing is still around, this thing is still infecting people. Um, currently, uh, the county level data for, uh, Wayne, Pike and Sullivan still looks pretty good. Um, Sullivan County had uh, 38 new mission admissions in the past week. Um, Pike had 38. Uh, Wayne County had 26. Um, and that's all the, the new sort of statistic that the CDC uses to track these cases is the rate per 10,000. Um, and by that metric, um, but uh Sullivan and Pike are still kind of in the green zone. They're still good. Um, Pike is technically just kind of on the border of the yellow. Once um, it gets to 10 new admissions per uh, 100,000 population, which Wayne has hit, uh, it's a little bit of a cause for concern. But again, Pike is at or Wayne is at the lower end of that. And even that is still just kind of a medium cause for concern. Um 
But the other sort of CDC data that I've been looking at is a comparison between hospital admissions to sort of deaths. Um, and while we're seeing nationwide a bit of a rise or a fairly steep rise in new hospital admissions, there's not sort of as steep a rise or really that steep a rise at all in the number of deaths. So there's, it's sort of something to be concerned about, but it's not, at least to my knowledge, at this moment, like we're heading back into the worst of the pandemic. It's just having a little bit of a spike with a couple new variants going around, with people having done their summer traveling and kind of spread stuff around. Um, and that's what we're seeing now. I've been kind of watching this too as well. And I think what I'm going to do right now, just pause and let the listener know that, uh, you know, last week, uh, Patricio Rabayo spoke with, uh, Dr. John Moore, who's with, uh, uh Wild Cornell, uh, uh, medicine. He's a virologist there in New York City. We've been checking in with him right on through the pandemic. And when it comes time to really track what's going on with the virus and variants, he's somebody that we check in with. And if you missed, uh, that reporting and what Dr. Moore uh, has on this current uh, wave of COVID. It's there at WJFFradio.org. It's on our website, WJFFradio.org, and it's uh, under local news, and it's right next uh, to our other featured story we did last week, uh, Sullivan County's Trash Future. Leah Mayo investigates possible shift so if you missed liam's special report last week that's up there as well wjffradio.org um, liam something that i heard in the in the dr moore interview which you know i had been hearing stories here and there it's a little bit about a rise in covid uh some of the stories at the state level actually said like a rise in hospitalizations but still even at the state level they're kind of saying similar to what you're saying that like well we got to keep an eye on it but it, you know people don't need to be Super concerned right now. And the thing that, that was worrying me is that like, how come we're not hearing about the next booster? Cause here we are heading into the fall. This is the time when, you know, people get their flu shots. And if COVID is something that's going to be going around, I thought we'd be getting, you know, regular, uh, boosters and updates. And, uh, and Dr. Moore explains in that interview too, that, that there, that we are expecting another booster, um, not too long from now. So I think that's also some, uh, good news in that COVID. Have you heard anything uh, about that by any chance? I haven't, but thank you for sort of bringing that information in. That's really good to hear that there's going to be yeah. a new booster to protect against this. And, 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 and if, you know, kind of hearing it secondhand in different reports and even some of our own wasn't enough, then all of a sudden, uh, major drug companies started putting ads on my Facebook feed, uh, just <laughs> starting last week saying, and this is the gist of the ad. And I thought this was brilliant. Just somebody talking camera saying, like, you ever find yourself in a crowd of people and, all of a sudden you think, yeah, but COVID? <laughs> so I think they're priming the pump, getting ready to roll out um, another booster there. But I thank you so much for taking a look at this and giving us an update. And then also what you're, you uh, uh, were looking at uh, for us that we want to talk about tonight is um, uh, the Board of Elections. This was a big story of last week. We got a brief quote from the Sullivan County Board of Elections, you want to remind folks what exactly the story is about? I was shocked when I heard about this. Yeah, um, we heard uh, from the state-level Board of Elections that uh, individuals across multiple counties have been impersonating county Board of Elections staff and sort of 
going door to door trying to um, intimidate voters, basically. Um, and the state level board of elections was warning people um, about um, just to be aware that this could be happening and to report it if if so. Um, and I believe you with Radio Catskill or Patricio talked with um, the Sullivan County Board of Elections to get their take on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, both commissioners called us up uh, to to talk to us and just gave us a basic quote um, that I'm looking for right now. I'd like to get it up here for you, but but uh, basically, and you might have heard it in Liam's headline on the weekend too, saying like, "Hey, you know, nobody from the Sullivan County Board of Elections is going to be knocking on your door for anything. Like that's that's not how we operate, you know. And if you do see somebody presenting themselves in that way, let the law, local law enforcement know." So. They 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 were they were being very serious about this, and we had uh, uh, Dan Hoost from uh, Sullivan County, uh, you know, the communications director. He was in talking about this Friday with us as well. So big. I, I say I was shocked. I mean, there's a lot of election shenanigans, so maybe I shouldn't be that shocked. But again, the 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 nature of the story that this is uh, another tactic that's out there that's essentially undermining democracy. Yeah, and it's something we'll hope doesn't happen in Sullivan County, but it's good to be aware that it could happen in case it does. Yeah, so we're just going to keep getting the word out that, you know, this is not how the Board of Elections operates. Exactly. Um, In terms of how the Board of Elections does operate, I also wanted to mention uh, River Reporter talked with uh, commissioners and sort of wanted to check in with them about how the preparations for the next election are going. Um, I think you'll remember that back in last year's elections, there was a lot of talk about um, sort of the long lines that resulted at different polling places. And there were sort of, there was conversation at the time about sort of why that happened uh, and the potential uh, for a shift in the um, process causing it, specifically using printers at polling sites to print out ballots rather than using pre-printed ballots. Um, so we checked in with the Board of Elections, and at least from their perspective, a lot of the um, issues this past cycle were more from the fact that it was a midterm, more from the fact that it was one of those elections that a lot of people come out for. And when you have a lot of people coming out to the polls, they are going to get a little bit backed up. They do still think that uh, printing ballots is the way forward. Um, they actually see this as a more streamlined process than the earlier one, sort of letting voters come in do their business at one station rather than bouncing them back and forth. So they are still planning to use these printers going forward. All right. Well, Liam Mayo from The River Reporter, I want to thank you so much for our weekly news roundup and thank you for all the great reporting. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We've got more news that you can use right here on Radio Catskill. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to The Local Edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. And right now we're going to connect with Albany for an update on one of the biggest stories of the year here in New York State. And it's still going on the situation with the migrants that are overwhelming the system 
in New York City and elsewhere in the state. Because as New York City reached capacity and even surpassed capacity, Mayor Eric Adams started relocating many folks upstate. The moves irked local officials who say the city hasn't been coordinating in good faith among those relocated are children, and with the school year starting, some will be attending upstate schools. In August, New York State School Boards Association conducted a survey of superintendents to determine the challenges and questions they face when it comes to educating migrant children. WAMC's Jim Lavulis spoke with the association's executive director, Bob Schneider. Well, as of right now, just to right-size the situation outside of New York City, uh, we did a survey out to our school superintendents, and what we received back about the asylum-seeking student situation is that only about 5% of school districts outside of the New York City area are affected. And uh, most of them, as I said, are in New York City uh, We quantified the number so far. Between 230 and 250 students um, have been moved to uh, outside of New York City districts and communities. And right now, we can handle that situation as far as the school districts that are intaking them. I don't know if any more are going to be moved out of New York City. I have no idea, no prediction. But right now, our districts that are taking them in are prepared to do that. We have we do this all the time in school districts, Jim. For years, we've been intaking migrant students from all over the globe. A lot of these students don't speak English, and one of the things uh, that we we have in the system is uh, you know non English speaking. Uh, learning uh, teachers uh, who teach uh, uh, these students uh, how to uh, teach English, because English is part of the public education curriculum, and we we work with them uh, in immersive uh, programs. There's support systems for these students in the BOCES uh, to support them. We've been doing this for many years. Now, that being said, there still is a cost for each one of these children coming into the system, and they are costly in the sense that a lot of them do not speak the English language, and those support systems, along with other support systems, cost money. But again, we have a, you know, we will intake them. We have a legal and constitutional responsibility to do that and a moral and ethical obligation in the public education system to intake these students. This survey, and I think you alluded to some of the some of these items already. What are the biggest needs identified by superintendents when it does come to serving migrant students? The biggest issue is the teacher shortage. And we hear this uh, with other positions within the school district, but we need English as a new language instructional staff. 95% of them um, said that they need more of those uh, personnel positions. And as I said, we do have certain structures in place, but and certain incentives, if you will. There's an incentive program where a teacher, a current teacher teaching whatever subject can get certified to be English as a new language teacher. Now, that helps out a little bit, and the BOCES have support systems, information and resources, and actually can teach them also at at the BOCES location. But again, we have a, a thin pipeline, if you will, for these type of teachers. That's the biggest issue in regards to the um asylum-seeking students, you know, and the other things that that we saw that that they need more of is other personnel. Um, 
you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, bus transportation uh, people, bus drivers, and aides that, that sit on the bus. So it really does revolve around the personnel issue as far as, you know, staffing up. Uh, the funding is there this year. We have, you know, significant record funding, but now it's we need to put all the pieces together as far as the personnel, and that can be very challenging in certain uh, districts, like uh, rural districts, where there's population decline and, and they just don't have enough people to uh, fill those spots. You mentioned there is room in the in the budgets there. Um, the state education department pertaining to this issue has said that districts have the resources they need uh, to mm-hmm. teach and provide for the migrant students. From what you're seeing, is that statement true? Yes. At this point, Jim, we are we can handle this. And again, each one of those students is expensive. There's a lot of resources to support them, and we will do that. But it's you know if this continues and we see a large number coming into these districts, then then there probably will be a concern. But it, but we don't. I don't expect a large number coming in right now. Uh, it, it's we can handle it right now. And believe me, there are districts out there that are not. Um, taking those students in that m- it might be a real big challenge for them because they don't might not have the resources available but for the most part our districts that are taking them in have the resources right now the survey we've been discussing uh, alludes to this and, and you've mentioned it as well too i think a big factor for the new york superintendents is the unknown as it pertains to this situation, whether it be information about the migrant students themselves, um, whether it be learning levels, any special needs, even immunization levels. Uh, From the standpoint of the State School Boards Association, sort of where, when, and how do school leaders expect to get that sort of information? Well, on the first part of that question, as far as the health records, immunization records, we are working closely with our county uh, offices within within that uh, that county where the school district is. We have to work closely with them. Uh, again, as I said, those students are going to be coming in to the school district. On the educational side, we have to make assessments of where they are as far as grade level, and then again, get the the required resources to support them because some of these or many of them might be behind as far as age and versus grade level but it's 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 a two-pronged approach obviously we're in the educational lane so we'll we'll make those assessments we'll try to get those records but it could be difficult and then working with the county health departments to figure out the immunization records and then we can figure out what immunizations they might need you mentioned the cost per student, and obviously this has been broken down um, for, I'll say, the average student in New York. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a breakdown yet for uh, serving uh, a migrant student? I don't have that number, but you could you could look. We could look at the special education students, special ed students that come into a school district. Again, require more resources, and that drives costs uh, significantly. I, you know, two times, three times the cost of of a, of a student, you know, uh, that that's in the system. So it, I would estimate around there. Again, if we get a lot coming into these districts, there could be an issue, but I don't see that at this point. Shifting to New York schools overall, uh, we've been speaking about teacher staff levels. Um, but in general, how are districts faring, uh, regardless of the English as a new language staffing? Well, st- 
we are wrapping up a research report, which we'll, we'll put out in a few weeks. And probably a lot of similarities from what I've heard and, and read preliminarily. We did a survey back in, I think, 2018 or 19, and certain teachers are in high demand, and there's not enough out there. Special education teachers is one area. And then if you go out into uh, rural districts, uh, getting math teachers, uh, specific type teachers are not available. Um, and based on the pandemic and what happened and what we see in, in the job market right now, those challenges are still there and could be amplified. But again, we're wrapping up that, that research report. Uh, the point of the research report is to compare it to what happened before the pandemic and then look at the solutions that school districts are coming up with to get more teachers and other workforce into the school district. There are creative things districts can do, and they are doing it. For instance, districts can have a, an apprenticeship program through the Department of Labor where an existing teacher can can shepherd a new teacher who, say, is changing their career path over a one- or two-year period and help them learn how to teach, how to set up the curriculum, do all that stuff, and hopefully, you know, recruit people from other industries that might want to be a teacher. And then there's other uh, creative things we're working with as far as working with uh, the university systems. And then State Education Department is trying to create less barriers to get teachers in the classroom, but the trick is ensuring that they are quality teachers teaching our students. And that, 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 that's a, that's a delicate dance. Not everybody knows how to teach, as you know, and some people um, can do it well. Others just aren't built for that. How are New York schools approaching COVID-19 this fall? There's a new variant being looked at and there's been an uptick in hospitalizations this summer. Mm -hmm. Well, we know the drill, Jim, as you are aware, based on the past, uh, depending on they'll handle it exactly how they've handled it in the past. You know, they have the protocols in place. They have the plans. We have not received any inquiries or concerns about this, um, you know, happening in school districts. But one thing we do have now is, you know, we can pivot a lot more efficiently to doing either the hybrid or, you know, the online instruction. When we started way back when, uh, several years ago, it, it didn't work out as that well at the beginning because it was new and we had to do it immediately. But now we have the infrastructure, infrastructure, the software, the teachers and the administrators know how to use it. So that would be will be helpful if those schools have to close down because of COVID uh, issues. But we don't see any at this point happening. We haven't heard about any, but uh, stay tuned. But we, we are prepared to do that with the plans that each district had to uh, put together during COVID, during the pandemic. And finally, I know the academic year is just getting underway, but looking at the political calendar in New York State uh, for the 2024 uh, budget year, you worried at all about a tougher budget uh, or potential cuts, anything along those lines when it comes to public education? It's a good question. And, you know, every year, you know, we, we work tirelessly with other organizations, education stakeholders, uh, to get the proper funding. Um, we, we had record funding uh, this year. We had the foundation aid restoration. We had the state aid increase. And obviously, we had the federal money, which runs out in 2024. We will advocate for additional money over the baseline 
number of the foundation aid and state aid and hopefully we will you know we can get more money for the school districts because costs are going up as you know um and, and we we'll, we're going to advocate for that we have to maintain the momentum as far as the learning gap we've got to keep focusing on all these children that are still behind in regards to what they missed or, or you know or the, the the missed opportunities during during the pandemic so we are going to push hard for for more money again the economic picture of new york state down the road according to the controller does not look that good but we are going to advocate uh, to try and uh, you know keep all those financial supports in place uh, for the next work- workforce that you know is coming through uh, eventually we have to to make sure these students are uh, ready to work in the world um, and be successful individuals to contribute to the uh, local economies statewide and national economies Bob Schneider is the executive director of the New York State School Boards Association Bob thank you for your time thank you Jim Thank you to the New York Public News Network for that report, and thank you for listening to the local edition. That's going to do it for our program tonight. I'm your host, Jason Dole. I'll be back again uh, tomorrow night. We'll do it all over again. Do let you know, I want to let you know about the weather. It's going to be clear tonight, overnight low down to 65. Uh, The heat advisory ends here uh, in another half hour. Uh, it'll be sunny on the early end tomorrow. It's supposed to be cooler tomorrow than it was today with a high of 84, so just a little bit cooler. But uh, there's a chance of scattered thunderstorms developing later in the day. In the afternoon, potential for severe thunderstorms, so we will be keeping an eye on that. Half and half chance of thunderstorms possibly severe tomorrow and a similar chance of scattered thunderstorms in the evening tomorrow night. It'll be partly cloudy in the overnight tomorrow with a low down to 63. We have the Daily coming up next. This is Radio Catskill. Support comes from Two Queens, making life's rituals a little more fabulous with locally roasted coffee, tea, and honey. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, in Barryville at the Stick It In, and online at twoqueenscoffee.com. WJFF, Jeffersonville, W233AH, 